Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David, as always. Another great episode for you today. We have Jody of Good Ship, which is a very successful edibles brand out of Seattle. And in December, so just a couple months ago, they were acquired by Privateer, uh, which is super exciting. We talk about her decision uh, to get acquired instead of raise more money, talk about Trump and Sessions, how to build a brand, what she learned from working at Starbucks, and maybe most importantly, how to get to California and how to expand in California. It's a great episode, guys. You're going to love it. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Well, Jody, thanks so much for joining us. Really excited to have you on. Good Ship is a, a brand that a lot of people know. Uh, and first off, I think I should just congratulate you on the late December acquisition by Privateer. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I really think it takes a village to build a business in this uh, recreational adult use environment. And it's it's great to be part of such an incredible team of people. Yeah, for sure. So I want to definitely get into the acquisition uh, a bit later, but let's start um, just with a simple one. Why don't you tell us what Good Ship is? What Good Ship is? Good Ship is a brand of... Uh, cannabis edibles that launched in Washington. The business started in 2014 and we sold our first product about three years ago in the Washington market when it opened up. We are we focus on a couple of categories. We do bake shops, so cookies and brownies. We do confection, so pastilles, pet du or gummies or fruit jellies um, and other kind of confections like a peppermint patty. Uh, and we also do chocolate. And so oh. we're, we're focusing on those items. And we also focus on microdose products to full serving size products. So we have items from 2.5 milligrams, which is a quarter of a serving, to five milligrams, which is a half a serving, to 10 milligrams. Yeah, that microdose category is really coming along, I think, with um, kind of some older people and some moms and a really exciting segment there. Um, yeah, so I, it seems like every time I look around, there's a new edibles company popping up. Uh, I live in San Francisco in California, so everybody's trying to take advantage of the new uh, recreational status. Uh, and unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to try any good ship products, but maybe you could just tell us, you know, what, what's so special about them? Why, why are these the best edibles? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, my background comes from, I have a food background pretty much my entire career. And uh, my last role was starting one of the nation's first cupcake bakeries over 14 years ago. And our, our whole approach there was supporting local farmers, sustainable ingredients, organic whenever possible. So having really clean ingredients is also part and parcel to how we're building good ship, meaning these are ingredients that could go straight away on a whole, whole food shelf. Um, so we have built products that, you know, at Cupcake Royale, our, our shelf life is one day. Mm. We make everything fresh every single day, delivered out to all of our stores. Um, and at the end of the day, we have a bake sale <laughs> if we have extras or, uh, you know, and, and we aren't able to sell those for a second day. So we've had to engineer our recipes to build same clean greeting ingredients, but it, with a shelf life. Um, and, and, 
having great ingredients is is just the beginning of doing recipe development to get the type of flavor and chew and all the things that we look for is what we're passionate about. So, so, so it sounds like it's kind of food first and cannabis, uh, maybe one B if not, if not second. Is, is that absolutely. Right? We, we want, you know, I think the early market and the, the early adopters and heavier users are maybe looking a little bit more for bang for buck. And I think the market will shape out to uh, a broader audience that cares deeply about the ingredients that they're ingesting a delicious taste experience. And yes, you get the, you get the magic ingredient as well. Yeah. It's something in the industry that's a, a little frustrating to me is that there's this ratio between dollars and milligrams when it relates to uh, buying edibles. And if you go into uh, a dispensary, often uh the customers are keenly concerned with this ratio. And for me, it's kind of frustrating because I want something that tastes delicious, uh, but very cool that you guys are sort of on that path. Um, when did you jump from the cupcake world to deciding, hey, maybe I should put some cannabis in some of these? <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, founding Cupcake has been a really great experience in terms of starting my own business and my background prior to that was working for one of the great entrepreneurs of our time growing up at Starbucks from 30 stores to 3000 stores just soon after Howard took over the company from the original owners added espresso to the menu and you know it is what you see today and during that amazing period of growth um it was uh, an, an honor to, to be a part of that and to be one of the early hires in the marketing group to do that, uh, to kind of help shape how we imbue Starbucks, our product, our brand into the hearts and minds of consumers and build that business one cup at a time. Literally, I think I opened 25 markets when I came on board before we hired regional marketing offices and things like that. And it was really building a great brand, a lifestyle brand on top of a great product. And that's definitely our approach at a good ship and same at Cupcake Royale. So uh, what was your question? <laughs> well, I have, an, I have another question now. We'll get back to my okay. question. But, but, you know, what's what's the biggest takeaway from Starbucks and working for Howard Schultz? And um, you, you mentioned building a brand on top of the product. But how does somebody do that? How does a founder starting a company build a brand on top of a product. Right. I mean, I, that was the world that I grew up in. So it was the best MBA I could possibly get. Um, but, but it, it's, it doesn't just rest on a great product. You can have a beautiful package. You can have a delicious product and those are table stakes, uh, for what we try to create both at cupcake Royale and at good ship, but building a brand and a lifestyle on top of that, that people want to be a part of, they want to evangelize your brand and what you do and how great you are. Uh, that is my heart and soul. So that is, you know, it's hard to do that. And to do that, I think, well, you need to be 100% authentic. It needs to come from the founder's heart. And one of the great lessons I think I learned at Starbucks was, you know, I, I sat down with Howard. I remember probably a couple years after I founded Cupcake Royale and we were blowing up and doing really well. And he sat down and with me and we were chat chatting about the notion of carrying Cupcake Royale at Starbucks. And, you know, it's like, Howard, I'm an entrepreneur now and I learned so much from you. Um, 
I wanted to ask you, and I know how you're going to answer this, but what is your best advice to an entrepreneur? And I knew what he was going to say. And he said, take care of your people. It's the most important thing that you can do. The, your best asset is the people that work in your company. And if you can take care of them, they will take care of your, your product, your customer experience, your ability to grow, your ability to give back. Take care of your people. Wow. Yeah, no, that I think that's incredible advice, um, both as an employee and, and as a founder through right. the years. Um, did you get Cupcake Royale into Starbucks? We we did not. And that's OK. There was there was some trade offs there. And uh, yeah, and it, it didn't work out. And that that's OK. I, I wanted to have more of a niche footprint, not necessarily uh, a massive footprint. And I wanted to continue to carry our locally roasted, brilliantly sourced coffee versus carrying Starbucks coffee. Yep. Be because I felt like that was part of our ethos. Yeah. So it was a great meeting and respectful and lovely. And yeah. Yeah. Still, still very cool that you had the access uh, to go right to him to, to do that anyway. That may help you in the future. Who knows? Again. Yeah. Um, uh, cool. So when was the point where you decided cannabis was an incredible opportunity. You know, wh when was the first time you, you baked with cannabis? Yeah, so now we're getting back to the question. Thank yeah. you. Um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. So I built Cupcake Rail 14 years ago, and a lot of what I noticed early on was a few things. One is that you can, there's a, there's a, a bit of a amplification when you have a business, especially a business that people love and want to go to on a regular basis, and that we could really do things to stand up for issues in our community um, and and uh, make a difference. So we, you know, I ended up working on healthcare. I was noticing why am I paying twice as much for half the coverage from what I had at Starbucks to being an entrepreneur, and ended up. Uh, meeting with President Obama and going to the White House and test testifying in a congressional hearing as SCOTUS was making a decision to uphold Obamacare right before that. Um, and have done a lot around marriage equality and ma raising money and awareness around marriage equality, around $15 wage. Um, so I've been very, I, it's, it's not just building a great brand, it's also building a brand that stands for something, it cares. And as I was, uh, as this was coming out in Washington, I had I've met and uh, have, have just built amazing relationships uh, and connections over my experience both at Starbucks and Cupcake and had a number of people reach out saying, if you build this company, you could build this company, we would invest in you. And I was flattered by that and thought about that and finally came back to the notion of, yeah, that makes complete sense. So I thought about what my drivers are, why I took that job at Starbucks when it was tiny. I just graduated from Seattle U. I paid for my own education. I just bought my first house. I wasn't making a whole lot of money. And I was moonlighting at Starbucks. And I took that role because I really believed in the vision Howard painted the the culture that would allow a kid like me to have a seat at the table and a voice and really participate in growing this. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it was, you know, I, I just think it was. How it, big was the team at that point when you joined? Uh, at Starbucks? Yeah. There was. I was hired to open a few stores and markets. There was somebody, a couple people running the press and PR. 
there was uh, kind of a, a VP of marketing kind of figuring out what kind of in-store collateral campaigns. There was a designer who worked with agencies uh, and that was it, I think. Mm -hmm. So really maybe 10, eight or uh, 10? In, yeah. in that group, in that marketing group. Wow. Got it. And then there were operations folks, district managers, um, roasters, drivers, you know, obviously there was uh, uh, 30 stores. So probably I'm guessing six, 700 employees, maybe yep. total. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. And then when you start good ship, kind of a question that I ask people when they get into the cannabis industry is like, was there pushback from family or friends or, you know, kind of how did your peers react to you starting an edibles business? Yeah, it's an interesting story. So I, I, you know, I talked to some friends, they were, said they'd like to invest. I was like, okay, great. I'll go online, figure out how to fill out this application. Uh, I talked to my accountant at Cupcake. Could you create a, you know, an, uh, an S corp, let's call it uh, Royale Leisure Industries. Um, and then could you create, uh, let me be the president, let's put it to our address, which is a, a space we own in Seattle that's also a Cupcake Royale. Um, and didn't think a thing about it. <laughs> and then turns out that's public information. So I didn't tell anybody, I didn't tell my wife, my family, my workmates at Cupcake Royale. And I get a call from one of the local blogs, the Capitol Hill blog that everybody reads to know what's going on in Seattle and Capitol Hill. And, and he's like, Hey, I, let's see who's opening some pot shops and where they're going to be. And he's <laughs> like, Jody Hall, Royale Leisure Industries, home of Cupcake Royale. Are you opening pot cupcakes? And I was like, please, Justin, do not run that story. It's separate. It has nothing to do. This is just a, 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 TBD location. Of course, we'd find a, a lease and figure that out after we were vetted to get a license and things like that. And of course, he ran it. And then the Seattle Times picked it up. And then oh, wow. every newscaster was parked out in every front, front of all six of our locations saying, tune in tonight. Is Cupcake Royale selling pop cupcakes? Wow. <laughs> and even my dad was called me the next day and he's like, well, I saw the article in the paper. <laughs> by my dad at this age this is awesome <laughs> so uh, it was it was kind of interesting but I thought it was kind of a PR nightmare at, at but after talking to my crew and uh, all of our, our store managers and our team they were saying that the customers were just over the moon excited like yay finally an edible that's gonna taste good and mm -hmm. uh, a brand that I could get behind and not not that it was cupcake royale of course it's a separate brand but but it was interesting. There was literally one or two negative comments, but lots and lots of positive comments. It trended on Twitter that day, which is impossible to do. But uh, so <laughs> clearly, it made a it made an impact. So yeah, friends no, and family. I think they were they were. Um, you know, my wife was hilarious. She's like, excuse me while I pick my jaw up off the floor. I had no idea. And I, I honestly did not know that this was public information. Of course, I should have thought that through. Yeah, but, so uh, but, you know, as I, as I thought about it, you know, my drivers are, and I was kind of going back to that story. Uh, one is being a pioneer. I love that role at Starbucks. I love that we were creating something nobody created. We were charting a new path and creating a new future. Same with Cupcake. Nobody else. We were the first outside of 
Manhattan to open a cupcake shop in the United States and how we could uh, give back, how could, we could raise money through cupcakes for bake sales. We donate 50,000 cupcakes a year. Um, so being a pioneer is obviously something that is an opportunity in this industry. Uh, the other things are around inspiring profound connection. And at the end of the day, what Starbucks is selling and what I was helping to create a brand around was profound connection. Um, and in this third place environment, friendly folks, great music, all these kinds of things that that people came back to. Uh, same with Cupcake Royale. And I think marijuana is profoundly connecting, especially in microdoses where you're having a glass or two of wine worth like one or two pastilles uh, of our 2.5 milligrams to me i can be so present and connected to ideas to the people i'm talking to to the beautiful nature all around us to music and the food i'm enjoying i i think that's great and the last thing is just to make a, make an impact don't just take the money take the money if you are lucky enough to make money and make a difference and use your superpowers to make a difference. And so, take care of your people. I and like take care of your people. Yeah, yeah. And build a culture. You know, culture is, I think, an, a really important thing and something that's just in my blood. Uh, and I, I don't know how to do it any other way. So that's a, that's an important component of what we've built at Good Ship for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Tell me about the name. What does Good Ship mean? You know, I, I really love the name Good Ship. I just kind of was thinking for a few months about what that name could be. Um, and that kind of came into my head. And I, I kind of love it because there's a there's kind of a whimsical innocence about it. There is a method of transport. Um, you have all the fun vernacular with flight and travel and frequent flyer and um this is your captain speaking and uh, cruise control and cruise altitude. And it, you know, it, it, it has kind of fun and whimsy to it. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's good. And I love the word good. I feel like good is humble. It strives. It's, it's not pretending to be great, which is brash and not my style. And it, it feels really good. I, I love the name and I love the way we built the brand. Yeah, no, awesome. And uh, apparently a lot of other people like the way you've built the brand as well. Uh, <laughs> some pretty tremendous traction. I just have some facts here. Top 10 edibles brand in the state of Washington. Also in each category, top 10 chocolate, mince, bakery, confection. Uh why do you think it's taken off so well? Why do you think people have been so receptive to it? Well, I think we're we're building the most delicious product on the market, at least in Washington State, um, and taking a really beautiful ingredients and product approach and spend a lot of time on our R&D. So the product's delicious. We've invested you know, a lot of our own passion and time on every word that's on the package has to feel right. The tone has to feel good. Um, and then on top of the product and packaging, uh, building a brand that inspires connection. You know, like I, I think my mission for Goodship is to inspire connection, discovery, wonder, and joy. And and uh, how do you do that in an environment where you can't advertise um, in, in traditional ways that other companies can? Mm -hmm. And so we did that in a similar kind of playbook as I bet how I 
built some of the things I built at Starbucks. We really didn't advertise. We we did one cup at a time. So, um, which is sampling and. With Kitship, we can do uninfused samples in Washington State and other states. It's generally illegal to hand yeah. out without manifesting properly through the state um, samples. So, but on top of that, it's not just sampling, it's creating events. So we have created a series of events that are, that are really, uh, that inspire profound connections. So our flagship event, we is called the Good Ship Academy of Higher Education. And it's not... Everything we try to do, everything we do, we put uh, a lot of rigor around, would this be something that the New York Times would write about? Is it interesting? Has it been done before? Has it been said before? So we put a lot of rigor around that and we make whatever we touch, we want it to be really special and different and inspiring. And, you know, I, I think part of what I want to create with Good Ship is to build a brand that inspires us to find our better more connected present and creative selves so it's it's kind of a just do it for 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 cannabis in a lot of ways so higher education as an example um the notion was what if we got a bunch of people together 200 people in a room in a salon like setting and it was inspired by the notion of Back when we were younger kids and teenagers hanging out in the backyard and smoking pot and uh, looking up at the heavens and wondering about aliens, are they out there or what does it all mean or whatever, kind of these big questions that, you know, a lot of us harken back to a time where we we, we did that and had those questions. So it was kind of related to that. Um, but, but so the, the notion was to find super intelligent people who were working on big, big ideas that uh, were solving, maybe they were trying to solve problems, maybe they didn't have the answer. Um, so we thought, what if we got a group of people together, invited everybody to pre-board on the good ship, AKA come stoned <laughs> at whatever level is your level, and that, because you can't enjoy uh, in, in a public setting. Um, come pre-boarded on the good ship and talk about heady ideas under heady influence. So our first speaker was the head of artificial intelligence at Google talking about how computers, they've taught computers how to be creative. And it was mind blowing. Our, mm -hmm. our speaker after that was a MacArthur genius fellow, a doctor at Fred Hutch talking about suspended animation and how we could top, stop time in the human body while time goes around us and the implications of that and what that meant for our society and the, down the you know down the road we met with the head uh, chief astronomer at SETI talking about aliens and are they out there we met with the the founder of the onion talking about fake news and mm -hmm. and its implications and when that started so really kind of great it's kind of like a bit of a stone TED talk, I guess, but much more of yeah. an interaction between the audience and the speaker. Well, every TED talk is a stone TED talk for me, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, that sounds very fun. That sounds very fun. Uh, I would love should, to attend one of those. Come. Our next one's on February 14th. We have a New York Times author who wrote the book Sex at Dawn. Okay. Um, on Valentine's Day. On, on Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. It's about the prehistory of human sexuality before the invention of 
property, religion, and kind of these societal judgments that we kind of now imbue in our life, yet they're only just a hair of time of humans on the planet. So it'll be really interesting uh, conversation. Yeah, very cool. And and how do you know that those events are so effective? Are there large amounts of sales at that event? Are you selling product at that event or it's about brand awareness or, you know, why, why have they been successful? I think uh, we, we've been recording them and we're putting them up on a YouTube channel um, as we record them and we'll get better at that. Um, but they're successful because you come in and you're in this group of people who are like-minded. You might not know many people in that room, but you're having these really interesting conversations. And I said, as I said earlier, the, the, the theory that I, that we had was that marijuana under that lens allows us to connect in a profoundly different way. And you go to that event and you walk away from that event and people are filled, their hearts are filled. They, you know, I think their hearts are filled, not just from having a great discussion and a great topic, but they feel more connected and they meet other people in the room that are interested in that topic. And to me, human connection is something we're starving for as a society. And then they go out and tell 50 of their friends, they, you know, it's building it via evangelism versus uh, a sale. We can't, we could sell swag and things like that, but we obviously can't sell our product there because those can only be sold through a, a retail dispensary that's licensed or a store that's licensed. Yep. So also we've gotten quite a bit of press on, on higher education, local and national uh, press yep. on, a, on a continuous basis. And, People love yeah, that's it. very cool. That's so, very cool. yeah, it's hard to it's hard to measure that, but then you look back and see how our you know sales grow and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I got to check one out sometime. Um, let's talk about fundraising uh, for for a bit. I know that you raised uh, a good amount of money prior to Privateer, and I guess the question for you is generally. How do you decide that it's time to sell your company? I mean, you obviously had opportunities to raise uh, more just traditional rounds of funding. Why privateer? And and you know how how did you convince yourself to do that? I suppose. Yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, you know, honestly, when I built Cupcake Royale, I you know Seattle, like San Francisco, is, is has this crazy trajectory on houses. So I bought my first house, as I said, and that's why I had to get my job moonlighting at Starbucks right after college. Um, so I was able to do a HELOC and own 100% of Cupcake Royale mm -hmm. and not really take out other bank debt. It was it was more of a home equity line of credit. Mm -hmm. um, with Goodship, it was the first time I had ever formally created a round and, and raised money and learned a whole lot about that. Uh, we went for our first round was a million dollars and closed that pretty easily. Friends and family, opinion leaders, musicians, record labels, people that I know, trust and love in Seattle that wanted to be a part of this. Um, soon after that, we had partnered with uh, another company to co-pack our product because that was our strategy. Mm -hmm. And that went sideways pretty quickly. It became really clear that it's probably best for us to build out our own kitchen and, uh, and 
utilize the license that I applied for, which is a whole nother story. I'll tell you all about that if you ever want to hear it. Um, but I uh, had an opportunity to get a processing license and raised another round of two to four million. And I hit about two million of that and realized um, as we were building this out uh, and doing it, you know, on a doing a, a, an amazing kitchen. And I've obviously built out lots of spaces with Cupcake Royale and understand how that works and had an efficient build out. Uh, but the timing for all the hoops to jump through, it's a brand new law. We're the first state along with Colorado. Um, it, it Everything just took, every, you know, small business entrepreneurs, it's twice as much and twice as expensive. In this world, it feels like it's three, four, five times as long and that three, four, five times more expensive mm. than you would have ever thought mm. because everything gets delayed and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a new world and it doesn't move as quickly because everybody's trying to figure it out from lawyers to legislators sure. to investors, et cetera. Um, so, you know, after, after raising 2 million of that, uh, it, it just became challenging and and we had a new president put into office or elected into office and it um it became even scarier in terms of the notion of jeff sessions and mm. you know i'm a u.s business i'm in washington where we don't even have medical uh we're at risk <laughs> you know this is making it harder for me to raise money yet we want to grow and we want to do all these things um so you know four years probably four Five years ago, I actually sat down with Brendan, who was a friend. I, I'm part of this entrepreneur group called EO, and mm -hmm. EO Seattle, my forum mate, did tech uh, technology uh, for offices and did all the tech for privateer. And he said, hey, Brendan's a good friend of mine. You guys should meet. You're going to go into this industry. So I met him four years ago, five years ago, whatever that was. Um, and he was, it was, it was fun. I mean, I was like, hey, I'm. I have Cupcake Growl, I'm, I'm applying for this license. I'm wondering your feedback. You've probably been to more places on the planet than anybody. You know, do you have any recommendations of, of stores to visit or, or, or products to look at? And he's like, Jody, the, the bar is so low, you're standing on it. Um, and why are you going into this industry? You have such a great business. Pot is so hard. And I, I said, probably the same reasons you are, Brendan. You know, obviously there's money to be made, but but there's an opportunity to really lead and chart a new future. Um, so fast forward four years later, it was actually October. I was on a panel with somebody else in privateer who's a dear friend who used to work at Starbucks. And I asked them some questions about what privateer was up to and have they considered a brand that would be kind of a pop future brand, not pop past. Um, not to say, and they didn't have any edibles brands. And, you know, who's your Starbucks? Who's your Nike? Who is going to, who's going to build this brand across the planet? And, and Privateer has obviously capital and investments that uh, complement that ability. And he said, you should meet with Brendan. So the next morning, Brendan called and uh, we set up a meeting and I was just like, here's the deal. I, I feel like I'm creating this brand. I think we have yin yang superpowers from what you bring and what we bring. And would you be interested in making a minority stake investment in the good ship? And he said, Jody, I do that all day long. I love what you're doing, following it. And I, actually I kicked off that meeting with Brendan, you're right. Pot is really hard. 
Um, so it's kind of funny. And anyway, you know, as we worked through that, he kind of painted a picture of why merger acquisition made more sense. And as I thought about that, it did. And what I am passionate about, as I said, is being a pioneer, uh, inspiring profound connection, making a difference, and yes, making money, raising capital and talking to attorneys and accountants all day and investors all day was really draining me, especially with the new administration and not knowing how this person would come out and would they support uh, adult use marijuana or not. And so it made a lot of sense to me to to come together with Privateer to help really lead and chart that path for the adult use market. And that's really exciting. So now I get to focus on building this brand and other brands and growing our company. We're, we're in the process of building out a kitchen in California right now, and we'll be bringing Good Ship and other brands and the Privateer family up to, up to Canada. And that's exciting, not to mention other states and that kind of thing. So yeah, no, uh, I get super... to realize my dream, I guess, and not spend 90% of my time talking to investors and lawyers and accountants. Right, so. right. Yeah, you get to actually work on on the products, which yeah. is uh, which is very cool. Um, yeah, we have Christian of Privateer that's coming on the show in a couple of weeks, so I have plenty of chance to ask all about Privateer and sort of their model. But just curiously, if you could go a little more into, you know, what's next for you, uh, if you've sort of... Um, you know, you don't have to worry about raising money and doing kind of the, the stuff you didn't want to do. What are you really excited about doing um, here on out? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, so often when you hear people merging or acquiring, uh, getting acquired, you know, you think about the sacks of money that they're walking away with and the island that they're going to buy in the Bahamas or something. <laughs> and in this case, that's not the case. You know, the case is I now have the opportunity with with amazing resources to help build uh, build these brands into beloved, widely respected brands around the planet. And that is super exciting. So my role is to continue to lead this effort with uh, our fellow joining of, of, of the, the fine folks at Privateer Holdings to do exactly what we were doing before. We have to think just as scrappy and entrepreneurially focused as everybody else because at the end of the day, we have to get there and, and the way to get there in a fast moving environment is to be, you know, be bold, be calculated uh, and move really quickly. So, and yet do it in a way that you're taking care of your people, your product, all those things and not, uh, not peanut buttering yourself so that you implode. So, you know, there's kind of a fine balance there, but I'm so excited. My entire team came over and accepted the opportunity and we're really helping to lead the charge along with the folks at Privateer to grow and build a handful yeah. of brands that are wildly loved in this industry. Yeah, and that's, no, I'm that's... super stoked. So I love, I love my world and realm right now. So it's great. Oh, it sounds um, incredibly exciting and to have some more folks in the room to help you make decisions and bounce Absolutely. ideas off of that. That's, that's a uh, very, have, very important for we anybody. Have several attorneys that just know the regulation I and mean, that alone, right. you could right. spend hours and days and thousands of dollars on, can I put a logo on a poster and put it up on a, you know, a street sign or something just totally. to learn mitigate risk and all those. I mean, it's just silly how, how, 
uh, tedious and every little detail uh, needs to be carefully taken care of, you know, yeah. I, or I have all, I have my investors money at risk. So I want to do it right. And it was probably a little fastidious about that, but didn't want to ruin that opportunity for myself and my investors and my team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how similar is it to before? I know it's only been a couple months, but, um, you know, how much autonomy is there in good ship and for you today? You know, we're driving the, we're driving, we're, we're driving the product. We're driving the go to market strategy. We're driving the marketing strategy. Um, we're doing that within a bigger organization, but not a huge organization with fellow like-minded people. Um, it's, it's pretty autonomous, I would say for the most part, you know, obviously we're running it just like we were running it before. We're not, we're not taking truckloads of money and spending it unwisely. Mm -hmm. Um, I know privateer just obviously raised a whole bunch of money. And if we see opportunity that will allow us to scale faster, uh, in a responsible way, we will, you know, we will go and, and, uh, build a business case and, and ask for that money and kind of build and model out the return. And just like any other, like how we, how I would do it with my investors, you know? So it feels very, very entrepreneurial and, and it's great to, um, have that, that, uh, bandwidth. Yeah, no, sounds like the best of both worlds. It really um, is. It's really great. So the clear big next task is California. Um, tell me a little bit about how that's going and what the playbook looks like. Yeah, so we are, uh, Privateer already had a facility in Santa Rosa, California, mm -hmm. um, making Marley natural products. Mm -hmm. uh, and we are in the process of building out a kitchen, uh, a licensed kitchen in that, fa uh, that uh, facility and distributing out of that facility. So we have a distribution license um, already. So now we just need to do the kitchen and play and build the go-to-market strategy for California. Um, and we're going to tackle both Bay Area and um, Southern Cal, LA area. We'll probably time those a, a bit you know, differently and uh, have different approaches for each market because they're so different, like mm -hmm. every market is, um, but especially those two markets. And put a careful, thoughtful strategy together on how we're going to build build this brand, <laughs> you know, one, one bud tender, one store, and then one market at a time. Yeah. Like is it daunting? Is the idea of coming to California, it's so big and different. You know, how, are you a little nervous about it? You know, I'm not. I'm not nervous about it. I, I feel like what we are doing is we are in a lot of ways leading the way for building a brand and a product that you would take to a dinner party like you would a lovely bottle of wine to help normalize uh, cannabis in our in our society. And, and I think that our product will fit so well in California. Um, and, you know, I've opened other markets there before. I opened all the Starbucks markets. I opened LA and San Francisco and Orange County and um, San Diego and uh, totally, you know, the, there's a way to do that. And there's a way to make an impact that doesn't necessarily require gajillions of dollars. Like there's, there's a, 
And I, I know how to do that. And I'm confident that we will build something meaningful that, that, that folks will love. And I'm confident we can do that. Yeah. No, no substitute for domain expertise. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> well, it, it is daunting. Those are huge markets. LA is like three times, four times bigger than Washington state alone. Yeah. Right. But yeah. we, we start one store, one bad tender, one group of people at a time. And you, you know, I think that that's how we built Starbucks, building evangelism one cup at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to take a step back and sort of talk about the uh, ecosystem more broadly. Uh, you mentioned that one of the reasons uh, that you wanted to join Privateer was sort of the uncertainty around the current administration, Trump and Sessions. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what's the most concerning part of all of that? You know, I, I think the most concerning part is that if we go backwards on uh, marijuana legalization, that there's a, a massive social justice uh, disservice that we would be doing. And, you know, part of the reason that I really loved legalization is because there was a social justice message that we were obviously incarcerating people of color, people of uh, lower socioeconomic means, and putting them in jail where we weren't, where usage was the same across uh, across different races and just different socioeconomic, but yet certain people went to jail. And that is so disheartening that if we look at rolling that back, that breaks my heart. And obviously, businesses, uh, you know, we're, we're creating great jobs. We're creating manufacturing in the United States. We can't offshore it, mm. <laughs> turns out, because we have to, we have to make and sell everything in, in one state at a time until we have federal legalization. Yeah, Canada. I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, yeah. It, it, does, uh, it does keep everything pretty homegrown. Yeah, absolutely. So we're creating jobs. The states are really relying on that tax revenue. You know, with all these budget cuts and things like that, that's that's important stuff. We have over 60% of our Congress represents states, red and blue, of some form of legal adult use or medical. So it does seem like it would be foolish for the United States who built this industry and started this industry in, in terms of... Uh, a great opportunity for, for business owners, for investors, for employees that have stock and all that. It seems sad to kind of let that go. Uh, I, I don't think that will happen, but you know, obviously if there moves to, you know, uh, threaten the banking system that undermines our ability to, to run a good business and makes it more difficult and more dangerous, you know? Um, but I'm hopeful that, <laughs> that, uh, enough people will raise their hand and, and, you know, and maybe focus on other things like opiate addiction and mm -hmm. things that actually are harming our society. Yeah. I mean, what do you think the likelihood of a sort of doomsday scenario like that for the cannabis industry is, you know, either a, a further crackdown on banking or, you know, more raids, uh, you know, how do you see that playing out? How do you see that playing? Out? I really, I, I don't, uh, I don't see that playing out right now. I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that, that we'll move past this and see that this is an opportunity. I just had a lovely meeting a couple of weeks ago with 
one of our U.S. Congresswomen, uh, Pramila Jayapal, who brought together the CEO of the biggest bank in Washington banking this. Um, she brought Allison Holcomb, who wrote the legislation, who's an ACLU attorney um, and head of chief of Seattle police. Um, and then me and a couple of other folks. <laughs> and it was, you know, she was trying to gather insight as to how it's going, what's going on in the legislative session in, in D.C., and what are your concerns, et cetera. And, you know, talk, when, when she asked the chief of police, really there, there is no increased, uh, not remotely an increase in crime related uh, to legal marijuana. Like it, it's, it's made their lives easier, you know? Uh, and, and, you know, the, the head of banking might've been worried a bit about, well, will there, uh, uh, I, I'm not sure what the, the formal term is, but their advisory board or, or their FDIC, you know, uh, registration be threatened if certain things happen. And obviously those things are going to hurt the industry. So, but I, I think uh, enough of us care about this for so many reasons. It's, it's a plant. It's, it's doesn't, you, you can't overdose it in a way that will kill you. Um, and if we take a responsible approach, we're creating jobs, we're creating opportunities, tax revenue. It's it's a good thing that we should be putting our energy towards bad things, yep. <laughs> or things that are hurting us, not things that are helping us. So I don't spend well a lot said. of time worrying about that, honestly. Well but I, I'm engaged in in our legislative process here in Washington State and other places to to make sure that they see a face behind this business. And there's a lot of great faces behind this business that are that care deeply and want to do it right. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. Uh, Speaking of the face behind these businesses, I'd love to learn a little bit about sort of the people. Um, And so I'll get you out of here on a slightly different kind of question, um, which is in the process of having an edibles company and starting Goodship, how has your relationship with cannabis changed? You know, it's interesting. I, I was... You know, I was in high school when the the dare and drugs are bad and kind of drunk. I drank that Kool-Aid <laughs> and I, I was really kind of frowned at on that and was like a little bit too much of a goody two shoes. But <laughs> um, and, you know, as I've evolved and kind of uh, gone through my career cycle and met some of the most genius people I know are are cannabis enthusiasts and really don't consume alcohol and and they're creating all this greatness in our city and in society and their own work and uh i've really switched over prior to starting this but but i really respect uh some of the some of the best talent i know uh imbibes that way versus alcohol or or leans more heavily on cannabis versus alcohol and it's it's allowed me to to shift as well. I mean, I probably consume cannabis, I don't know, once or twice a week for the most mm-hmm. part, mostly on the weekends. But sometimes if I just need to slow my mind and get a good night's sleep, I might have one or two pastilles before bedtime. Or sometimes I'll, I'll do that instead of, I, I find that I can be a little more engaged and social with a light dose of cannabis. Um, mm-hmm. And I like that better than alcohol. I, 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 so it's, I'm definitely changing my consumption 
and appreciate that. And it's, it's the stigma is pretty much erased. I don't even think about it. It would be like offering somebody uh, a bubbly water, you know, or a beer or mm -hmm. a glass of wine. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. I think a lot of people that um, didn't have much personal experience with cannabis, they learn that they're not going to get addicted and their consumption rate isn't going to go up dramatically. I know uh, previously very square investors who had no cannabis experience and got in the cannabis industry because it was an awesome opportunity from a business perspective. And slowly but surely, they start having their vape pen or their little edible before bed because they, they learn what everybody else learns which is it yeah. helps your life and yeah. uh, it, it makes you better it's um, true and as the cupcake lady in seattle that everybody knew because <laughs> of our we built a, just a lovely brand here so many people came out to me when all that news broke they're like yay do something low dose make sure it's delicious make sure it's consistent and you know what i realized is that wow everybody consumes or is interested in consuming cannabis. It's the same market as alcohol. They, it's a, just a different way to imbibe with a lot less side effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You won't get an argument on my side. Well, Jody, it's been great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, how can my audience help you? Uh, are you hiring anything? Uh, the, the floor is yours if you have an ask from, from us. Yes, absolutely. You know, we're, as I said, when we kicked off this discussion, it truly takes a, a village to build a, a, a business in this space. And I think that there's so much capital going into these disparate companies, disparate markets, and the opportunity to work together, uh, whether it's partnerships, whether it's um, JVs, whether it's acquisitions, who knows, um, is, is exciting. And to build a portfolio of the best products in the industry and be able to take that from market to market is a powerful thing. And I think if any one of us thinks that we can do that alone with our capital, I think it's that's a big ask. And, you know, until, you know, heaps and heaps of capital that are currently sitting on the sidelines. Um, I, I just think that it's such a relationship business and, you know, uh, that's interesting to me. So we're looking for partners in other states to co-pack product. We're looking for great people for our sales team in LA and in the Bay area and in Washington state. Um, great people always. So you can reach us at good times at the good ship.com. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I think you're going to, you might get some emails. Uh, sounds like a great place to work and uh, good luck in California. Congratulations on the acquisition again. Uh, and thanks for joining us, Jody. It was great. All right. Thank you so much.